Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Begotten, a five-part audio drama brought to you by Manola Theatre. Part 3. Clear. do it. God, I wanted to. So many times. I should have done it the first day, the first time he brought her home. And she was so thrilled that day because he'd put the sirens on for her. I remember. I should have done it then, but better late than never, I suppose. I've only been gone 30 minutes, maybe 40. I lost track of time when I was doing it. I'm not even sure I was myself. But it was so clear to me what I had to do. It, it played out in my head like a film, like something that had already happened. Every moment, every step. I drove over to Brian's and collected Eileen. I said the pleasantries, everything I didn't mean. I even hugged him. I brought her home. I played peekaboo. I put the Seekers on, Amber's favourite. Songs Eileen was used to. She did her funny little squatting toddler dance on the shag pile. You know the one, they look kind of constipated. While I mixed the rum in the bottle. Just enough. I read her a story while she sucked it to sleep. I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. Her little chest was rising and falling when I left. So rhythmic, so safe. I got in the Kingswood and I drove back. I must have stopped for traffic lights, but I didn't see them. I only saw Amber and Eileen and exactly what I would do. I knocked on the door and Brian let me in. I could already smell the alcohol on his breath. He'd wasted no time after we left. He looked confused. He said, did you forget something? I said, yes. I followed him into the house, two steps behind. And Amber was beside me. I could feel her. 
She smiled at me and slipped her hand inside mine and we were sisters again. Only each other's and he had no claim on her. He had the radio on, a cricket match, and he made some comment about how Australia was fucking it up. But I didn't really hear him because I was busy pulling the butcher's knife out of my handbag and stabbing it in his back, up inside the ribs, just like I'd read about. The noise Brian made when it happened was one I'd never heard before. The closest thing I can liken it to is a rhino or some other big game groaning when it's been shot by a poacher. I've never seen that happen, but I can imagine. I was surprised how quickly the blood came up like it was from a blister that had been just waiting to burst. He was wearing his tan polo, the one with the blue stripes, and all I could think when the blood came up through it was how much it looked like tomato soup. We used to eat that a lot, Amber and I, when we first arrived. Mum said it was the immigrant's diet. Some nights we ate it by candlelight, probably to save on power, but we told each other we were hiding in a smuggler's cave, shielding our treasure from prying eyes, and we all believed it. Just enough. Brian lunged at me, of course, and he had a snarl on his face that was knowing, like a part of him had always known this was coming. And he's right, it always was. It just took me some time to realise it. I don't know if he was actually dead when I turned around and walked out. I was acting out the film in my head and checking wasn't part of it. I just shut the door behind me and drove straight to the nearest dump and left the butcher's knife stuffed into an abandoned couch. And now I'm here. Eileen is still sleeping in the bedroom. Her little chest is still rising and falling, and the seekers are probably still singing in her head. She'll be cranky when the rum wears off, but I'll be ready with her dinner. And I'll give her a bath and rock her and sing to her and stroke her fine little hairs until she falls asleep again. And in the morning she'll wake up and we'll start fresh. Me and her. And she'll never think of him again. My earliest memory of Amber is in a tunnel. The memory is so foggy it may not even be real. What I see is brickwork and a brown woolen blanket and lamplight showing the outline of Mum's face, her angular chin, her thin lips. What I feel is amber curled against me and our fat fingers wrapped around each other's hands, exactly the same size, exactly the same number of days old. There's a rumble somewhere deep in the memory, but I don't feel scared. I feel peaceful. The first time Brian hit her, she didn't tell me. We caught the tram into town to go shopping and she kept her cap pulled down low all day. The makeup had been applied so carefully, but the skin around her eye shone too much and we both knew it. She kept checking her watch the whole time we had tea. She had to be home by three, she said. I know, I said, you've told me five times. She ate half a scone, then told me again. 
I don't know at what point the spark went out of her. Maybe it was never there in the way I wanted it to be. The way I knew it deserved to be. But even so, there was a change. It was slow. So slow that Mum didn't seem to notice, although she wasn't noticing much of anything by then. But I noticed. Of course I did. I knew Amber inside out. I knew the fear of drowning that meant she would never go past knee-deep in the ocean. I knew the glint in her eye that meant she was about to say something dirty, just as well as I knew the crease in her forehead that meant she would immediately apologise for saying it. (laughs) The day she first said, fuck, oh my god. I knew the one little mole on her left arm that told the two of us apart. The one I had tried to cut off with a pair of scissors. Over time, the glint stopped appearing, and the crease got deeper and more permanent. Our phone calls got shorter. She stopped wearing red. When Eileen was born, I went to the hospital and waited in my car till I saw Brian leave. I went up and sat beside her and held her hand. I could have sworn her fingers had gotten smaller. My hand made a perfect outline around hers. She was so white. And when I asked her how the birth had been, she looked at me with eyes I didn't recognise and said the first honest thing I'd heard from her in years. Why did they sew me up? She asked. She looked so earnest. I tried so hard to bleed. We were 11 when we moved up to Brisbane. Mum got a job at the butcher's, even though it made her queasy, and she rented us a house in Highgate Hill. There were only two bedrooms, and Amber and I slept with our double mattress rammed up against the wall with the window. We would lie there on summer days when it was too hot to move, and watch the white lace curtain with the corpse of a Christmas beetle as it rippled over our heads. We would talk about the future, and how we'd make sure Mum never had anything to be scared of again. We were going to start a band, the Elvery Sisters, not to be confused with the Everly Brothers, and we'd drive around the country in our van singing songs about freedom and beer. You know, know your market. We weren't particularly musical, but that wasn't going to stop us. We'd buy Mum the biggest house in Brisbane, overlooking the river, and she'd never have to cleave a pig carcass again. Around the same time I got my first period, Amber started having her dreams. She'd always had dreams, that wasn't the change. The change was how she started deliberately turning away from me to go to sleep, and how her breathing sounded different. Some nights, if I was lying awake thinking, she'd bolt upright, gasping. Other times, I'd see her move a sleepy hand between her legs and start rubbing. I'm not sure she knew she was doing it. Any time I'd ask what was going on, she'd say, Nothing. I'd roll back over to go to sleep. Maybe it's crazy, but I started to resent Amber's dreams. I resented the people who populated them, whether they were real or not. Whoever they were, they were taking her away from me. The one whose face I'd always known as if, 
No, because it was my own reflection. The one who, as a six-year-old, had spat in her hand and crossed her heart and hoped to die, swearing she would never keep secrets from me. She broke the pact, but she didn't die. Not for a while, anyway. A week before our 17th birthday, the jealousy got too much, and I got her drunk and made her tell me everything. All the secrets she'd been keeping, all the things that made her gasp and moan and touch herself in her sleep. It was a betrayal, I knew that. But I did it anyway. In the moment she started telling me, I hated myself. But then she told me, and I hated her. From the time she was 13, Amber had been having a recurring dream. She was one of several daughters in a cult. The man in charge, a sort of beastly, priestly father figure, had a system of punishing his daughters when they strayed from the way of righteousness. He had spools of ribbon, all in different colours, all of which seemed to never end. The colours corresponded to different kinds of sin. Yellow for pride, red for lust, green for envy, of course, black for rage or violence. Whenever a daughter was found to have committed one of the sins, the father would bind her in this ribbon. It would pass through her mouth, preventing speech, encircle her hands behind her back and shackle these to her ankles, preventing motion. The daughter, webbed in the colour of her sin, would kneel for a day behind a great glass window, her name etched on the wall above her, visible to all the other members of the cult. They would pass by, exercising their free and fair judgement, until 24 hours had passed and she was absolved. And she would kneel willingly, grateful to the father who had bound her, eager to be cleansed of her sin. I'd never had a dream like that, and the thought of it engulfed me in this blistering coldness, one that radiated out from the core of me and left my tongue bitter. But when Amber confessed that she loved that dream, that the thought of the ribbon gagging her and taking her freedom caused her crotch to prickle with excitement, that she would sometimes will this dream into consciousness to help her get to sleep, that was the moment that the mirror cracked, that I couldn't bear to look at my own face. Even in a dream, I would never let someone control me like that. How could that be the thing that brought her pleasure? We were still sisters, and we always would be. At least for 16 more years, until a coward hit her one last time so hard that the cartilage in her nose punched its way up inside her brain and she dropped like a sack of potatoes on the linoleum floor. But in that moment, I no longer recognised her. The day we buried her, it was overcast. Brian stood there in dark glasses that apparently hid his grief, but really just stopped people noticing that his eyes were the wrong kind of bloodshot. Fifty metres away, the ground was full of soldiers freshly dead from Vietnam, who died apparently doing something for the greater good. <laughs> Fuck, 
What I wouldn't have given to see Brian go up in a cloud of napalm. I'd have brought a picnic blanket and toasted marshmallows. Eileen was perched on his hip as Amber's coffin went down. And instead of watching it, I watched his hand. That hand that had done so much damage, clutching this two-year-old mass of innocence. Fingers like needles injecting her with slow hate. And I swore it wouldn't happen. The one little bit of amber that remained wouldn't be poisoned. It would find the spark that got lost somewhere along the way. Because justice doesn't come from his corrupt boys club police mates who say it was an unfortunate slip and fall. It comes from the people who know. The people who knew her before, who knew she was capable of dreaming a different dream if she'd been with someone who loved her well enough to make her see she was worth it. He didn't. And as I stood by her grave, I swore I'd end that bastard or die trying. My birthday never came up in a lottery, but I chose my own war. Last night, before it happened, before I chose the butcher's knife from the block and tested its tip against my thumb, before I called and asked Brian if he'd like me to take Eileen for a few days, just until he got back on his feet, I had Amber's dream. I was her. Except this time, when the father pulled his ribbon tight between her teeth, she pounced on him and pinned him down, and black, raging ribbon teemed out of her mouth. Not just what he had put there, but more, from down her throat, from deep in her gut, hundreds of years' worth, so much ribbon that it had no end. And as it fell on him, it turned to steel and stabbed him through the face and the gut and every one of his limbs. And when Amber stood up, he was nothing but a mound of seething, shimmering, Black. Now there's a sexy dream. Eileen will be awake soon. I'll heat the milk and turn the record over, and we'll dance with each other in the lounge. And she will never think of him, and I will never tell. You have been listening to part three of Begotten, a five-part radio drama brought to you by Manola Theatre. Manola Theatre is a production and training company based in Brisbane, Australia. Begotten was reimagined as an audio drama in response to the nationwide closure of theatres and performing arts spaces. If you would like to hear more right now, you can access Begotten in full from manolatheatre.com.au and support the creators via the Pay What You Like option on their website. Begotten was written and performed by Bianca Butler-Reynolds and directed by Kat Decker, with post-production sound by Siobhan Finnis. The producers thank Calvin Baker and Jim Reynolds for their production assistance, and That's Not Canon Productions for their support. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.